Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. I am always looking for a great gift idea, and Coconut Personal Lubricants are always a huge hit for your partners and the perfect Valentine's Day gift. If you're making clean ingredient swaps, it is so important to make sure you are getting quality ingredients that are good for your body, inside and out. Coconut oil and water-based lubricants have the healthiest ingredients list I've seen. They use all natural ingredients, are cruelty-free, made in the USA, and their packaging is plastic-free. For an exclusive discount code, head to coconut.com. That is coconut without the T. And use code CARALYN15 for 15% off your order. That's K-A-R-A-L-Y-N-N-E-1-5. My code stacks with their on-site discounts. So order today and thank me tomorrow. Dr. Uchina Stein is author of What If It's Not Depression? Your Guide to Finding Answers and Solutions. She is a board-certified psychiatrist and has been in practice for 25-plus years. Propelled by her son's health crisis in 2010, she found functional medicine, which resolved all his mental health problems as well as her own. She has a busy private practice called Functional Mind in Riverside, Rhode Island, where she sees patients for functional medicine primarily, but also sees patients for psychotherapy. She is a certified practitioner of the Institute for Functional Medicine, a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association and was awarded the Exemplary Psychiatrist Award by NAMI Rhode Island in 2008. She is a former clinical assistant professor of psychiatry and human behavior of the Warren Alpert Medical School of Brown University. She has a companion program to her book called What If It's Not Depression? Boot Camp to Provide an Alternative to Medication for People with Chronic Mild Depression-Like Symptoms that do not respond to antidepressant medications and will be offering an SSRI tapering course soon. Thank you, Dr. Stein, so much for being here today. I actually started my whole Instagram account because I suffered from depression and mental health issues. And so I've been wanting, well, I have been educating people for years about this. And so I am really honored to have you here today on my show and really excited to talk to you about depression. So thank you for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's definitely my mission to let the world know about depression and root causes of depression and other ways of treating people for depression. So thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. So why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. Yeah. So I was a conventional psychiatrist, traditionally working for like 20 years, um, seeing patients in the traditional way, one-to-one visits. And I also uh, am well-trained in psychotherapy. So I would combine the psychotherapy with prescribing medications. And um, there was a time where I was hitting walls with certain patients. It was like wondering why they weren't getting better, no matter what I did. And, you know, I was already different from other psychiatrists in that I spent a lot of time talking about uh, lifestyle changes So it got to a point where like, I need to get more training (laughs) and serendipitously, I found different alternative cares was more what was considered integrative medicine. And I was starting to pursue that. And right around the same time, my son, who was 14 at the time, had a serious, severe mental health crisis, and it was just mind boggling to me about why it happened. Basically what happened is that we were away in France. My husband's a professor and he was on sabbatical. We took the three kids out of school and we traveled uh, in India for two months and then France for two months and basically homeschooling them. And, you know, my son was feeling sad about missing his friends, which would be expected. But one day he had a tiff with his brother and then suddenly he was gone in in the sense like, where did you go? And we were in this two bedroom studio apartment. He couldn't have gone very far. And I just happened to look out the window and he's standing on a ledge, five floors up, ready to go. Oh my goodness. I know (laughs) it was. And here I am. I'm a psychiatrist, totally blindsided by this totally blindsided by this because it was just so unexpected and, uh, you know, had him come back in 
talked him back in, well, in a, in a not so nice way, like get off the roof, you know, kind of thing. Uh, so had him come back in. And once we got home, I had him see a psychiatrist and, you know, went the whole traditional route and ended up having him on four medications uh, very quickly. Um, it got him better. It got him out of the crisis, but he was this lack of a better word, a zombie, you know, he just wasn't himself. He was still depressed. He was very anxious. He wasn't sleeping at night. He had no motivation. He wasn't able to read. And uh, that was the symptom that made me feel like there's something else going on. There's something going on with his brain that we're not talking about. And I talked to multiple doctors. He had seen a number of doctors. Nobody could explain it. And finally, you know, there was an eye doctor who said that he had diplopia, which is double vision. It's like, why would he have diplopia all of a sudden? It didn't, it made no sense, but that explained why he wasn't able to read anymore. So meantime, you know, trying to find other people to help him with this and try to fix this, you know, we read his books to him. Fortunately, some of his books in school were already on audio. So we were able to continue his schooling and he did fine, but no one was able to give me answers. So I finally happened to serendipitously in my search for finding more ways of educating myself, came upon a functional medicine doctor. I didn't know what functional medicine was. And I had him see him, his name, I always tell everyone, because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. His name is Edward Levitan. He's a practice called Five Journeys in uh, Massachusetts. And basically, long story short, he fixed my son. <laughs> and uh, for through a variety of steps, you know, he was found to have food sensitivities. He had celiac disease. He had leaky brain, which led to leaky gut and was very malnourished and uh, had all sorts of issues that I had never heard of and, uh, but got him well. And he was basically feeling significantly better within a few months, just by changing his diet and was eventually through all the steps of restoring his gut and cleaning up his diet and making him more nutrient, you know, sufficient and mm -hmm. optimizing his nutrients and healing his gut. Uh, so many of his symptoms got better and to the point where eventually he was able to come off of medications completely. And that took about two years and the diplopia, the double vision was really the last thing to go because basically what happens is that when you have inflammation in your body, it really affects many organs and where you're most sensitive is where it's going to come out. And his eyes, he had visual problems, but his eyes were basically a sensitive part of his body. And the cranial nerves that move your eyes are what got inflamed, causing the double vision. And that took a while to get better, but it did go away completely. And, and so it was a three-year process, but he was able to get well. And so as a result of my experience with him, I learned so much and I just could not go back to doing psychiatry in the way that I was practicing it before. And I basically left my job as a medical director of community mental health center and worked for Dr. Levitan's organization and learned how to do functional medicine. And that's all I do now. So it's really a combination of Western medicine, the traditional approach, as well as functional medicine hybrid together so that I'm able to provide all of the treatments that a person needs at the time that they need it. Some people, you know, sometimes really do need medication in order to get them well uh, to a point where they can then search for the root causes and bring their body, mind, and spirit back into balance. Oh my goodness. I could say so much about what you just said. It resonates so much with me because his journey sounds a lot like mine. I actually attempted suicide and thankfully by the grace of God, it didn't happen. And I thankfully. went to doctor after doctor looking for help. And same thing, I did an antidepressant, which I have nothing against because it was life-saving for me at the time in my crisis mode. But like you said, I did feel like a zombie. I tell people I felt seat belted in my emotions. And thankfully, I, I did find a doctor two years later who um, was able to find all the root causes of what was going on in my body. And so I resonate with that story a lot. But what shocks me about it is that you are a medically trained psychiatrist who couldn't figure out your son's issues. 
Right. Because I wasn't trained to to do that. I wasn't trained to find root causes. We're trained to look at things in black and white and to prescribe medications. And there is a place for that. Uh, And it's not just medications. I mean, we do talk about some lifestyle changes, me more so than any of my colleagues ever did. But uh, because I'm a, a doctor of osteopathy, I'm an osteopathic physician, and we are trained differently than my allopathic counterparts, the MDs. And I'm also trained in psychotherapy, but there's limitations in that. There's absolute limitations in that. And we see that over and over again, which is why, unfortunately, we we had resorted to adding another medication or changing the medication, then a third medication, then a fourth medication. And it doesn't make any sense to do that anymore. But, you know, you're sort of indoctrinated to that way of thinking. And like I said, there's a place for that. But, you know, it's not that we ignore these other things. It's just there are other people, let's say, who are trained to do those things and should really be part of the medical system, so to speak. But the medical system is currently geared for really sick care. It's not about wellness. It's not about optimizing your health. It's about crisis management more than anything else. So if you think about it this way, I use physical analogies to sort of express what I mean, because people think, well, if you're depressed, you're depressed, but depression is on a continuum. And if you look at depression as being a symptom, and it could be a symptom to describe how you feel, but there's so many other words that unfortunately we're not as a society uh, using to really accurately describe actually how you're feeling, because there's words like irritable and sad and agitated or frustrated, uh, frustrated. Exactly. Lonely. Yeah. Yeah. And, but you know, one word that I love that was used in the New York times that is so perfect for the kind of person that is unfortunately put on an antidepressant is languishing. I love that word. And languishing is just describes this kind of almost like this burnout, almost pre-burnout kind of feeling. But there's so many other words to describe how you're feeling. But depression is a symptom. And unfortunately, we have been trained and it's changing. The system is changing more and more lectures, even given by the American Psychiatric Association. I was invited by the Oklahoma Psychiatric Physicians Association. I gave a talk about this approach as a keynote speaker in in that conference. That was in November. So, and that was really well received. So it's not like the system isn't changing. It is, but it's going to be slow and it's going to take people like you and like me constantly talking about it. But the analogy that I like to use is if somebody hurt, let's say they had something fall on their foot and um, it kind of gets swollen and you, know, you kind of put ice on it, but, and it might go away for some people, but other people it's like, Oh gosh, every time I walk on it, it really hurts. And it's not, the swelling's gotten down a little bit, but not really. I wonder if I should get an x-ray. So then it might be a stress fracture or the next step up would be, it is a fracture. The next step up is like, oh my gosh, this is a real break. Those kinds of things, those gradations would be treated very, very differently than if you were in a pileup of cars, you know, on a, on a highway and you are taken out by the jaws of life and helicoptered, you know, to a facility where you are put in a body cast. So that's to me where medications need to come in. And when, if you need a a mind cast to prevent, you know, further decline, you know, temporarily, you know, you're not going to be in that body cast forever, or even a few casts forever. Eventually, everyone knows those casts come off. And the next step is rehab, right? If you stayed in that cast and never took it off, your arm or your leg is never going to get well. Or if you chose not to do the rehab, your arm or that leg is not going to get well. Even if you did take the cast off, you have to have rehab. And I believe that psychiatric issues or mental health issues should be treated the same way where, you know, medications are used like the jaws of life or having major surgery to stop that internal bleeding and having these casts put on so that it could facilitate healing, but then you have to have rehab. So the functional medicine approach is rehab. And, you know, if somebody 
had these this accident in this you know car pileup and you just sent them to rehab, that would be inappropriate. You want them to have surgery. You want to have those cats put on. You don't want to go right to rehab because there's certain things that have to be done first in order to prepare you for rehab. You know, so you want to evaluate someone who has depression on that spectrum, where do they fall on that spectrum? And what is the appropriate thing to do at the moment? And then there's the journey, laying out the journey from that point on. And so someone who is on the on the milder side of the spectrum, whether it is mild or moderate, I'm not saying that their distress isn't high. You can have pretty high distress, but have issues on the mild or moderate side of the depression spectrum and have just functional medicine as an approach, as opposed to medication. You could be in the middle and it might be a combination of both with the plan to come off of medication, if that's the right thing for you. <laughs> or you can you know, be on the other spectrum where you need to be inpatient unit hospitalization with potentially things like you know, TMS or ketamine or, or medications uh, in order to get you stabilized. So then you can transition to looking at the root causes with the plan of potentially coming off of those medications. Does that make sense? It does 100%. And I love that analogy a lot because when I was put on an antidepressant and granted this was 15 years ago, every doctor would just say, nope, this, that's what you have to do for the rest of your life to feel better. And that's, that's what made me search for a new doctor after a new doctor, because you think you're doomed to this the rest of your life. And so I love that analogy that it's like a cast and you use the cast to heal. And then once the cast is off, you go through the rehab that you need to live your best life possible. And so I really appreciate you saying that because there are still people out there today that think, oh yeah, if I'm on an antidepressant, there's nothing else I can do. And I have to be on this the rest of my life. And that is not that is, the case. That is not true. That is absolutely not true. Now, granted, I, I can tell you that there are people who come to see me just because they believe that if I am a holistic doctor, integrative doctor, or, you know, functional medicine doctor, that I'm going to get them off their medications. And I, you know, there are situations where I do a complete evaluation, very, very thorough intake, you know, and I tell them that, you know what, we might be able to get you off of maybe this medication and this medication, this medication, but <laughs> I th really think you need to stay on this medication and I'll give them the reasons why, but also all the things that they need to do in order for them to get to that place of starting to taper them off the medications because medications suppress symptoms. There've been people who have stopped and started, stopped and started medications. And of course those symptoms are gonna come back if you've done nothing to sort of plug up the holes that are causing inflammation. It's basically the surge of inflammation. If you're not correcting what's causing the surges of inflammation, then of course you're gonna have symptoms come back. So all of the mental health symptoms, along with lots of other symptoms that people have physically are all connected. And there is a reason why you're experiencing it's a manifestation of something happening in your body. And it's a matter of essentially turning off the tap, you know, and letting out the drain. I use the analogy of a tub overflowing. You want to find what is causing this tap of inflammation, this flow of inflammation in your body. And you want to release the drain in order to drain out all that inflammation or, or quit filling the bathtub with it. Exactly. Or the fallout that occurs from the inflammation, because it's a lot of damage. It's like your body's on fire, essentially. What happens? You know, things burn, <laughs> like your house is burning down. Well, there's this pile of ash that you're then relegating your liver and your colon to gather up throughout all of the cells in your body and release it from the body. So some people have problems detoxing that out of their body because they're either getting constipated or their liver gets congested, their gallbladder is congested. And there's all sorts of reasons that that happens, but essentially what causes that inflammation resides in foods, chronic infections, toxins, and stress, all of which affect your hormones. So I have a, an acronym called shift. So S is for, for stress, H is for hormones, I is for chronic infections, F is for foods and T is for toxins. And we want to shift your body into healing by addressing those things. Oh, that's a great acronym. 
I love that. So let me go back to your analogy of the cast and going to rehab after the cast is taken off. When you say going to rehab, that's when you're talking about finding out the root causes of your depression, possibly, right? Or finding and learning how to eat better foods or changing lifestyle factors. It's not just so we're clear for the listeners, you're not talking about actually going into a rehab center. No, 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 no. Rehab is the process of working with a functional medicine doctor to be able to find those root causes. Like I just explained the shift, you know, to shift your paradigm is really exploring foods. What are inflammatory foods and what are foods that are healing, uh, which is what you're all about, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you know all about that. And I'm sure your audience does know because of your education, but there are other things as well that need to be done. It's working with someone who's educated in those areas and finds, first of all, all the root causes and then reversing them through a plan of action which is primarily dietary and lifestyle changes. There are going to be situations that you're not going to be able to do on your own. And that tends to reside in terms of finding the chronic gut infections. So there's all sorts of chronic gut infections and just to name them off real quick, you know, H pylori, there's dysbiosis, which is an imbalance in your gut bacteria, which can cause inflammation uh, in, in many ways in including even autoimmune diseases. There's Lyme's disease and all the co-infections, there's parasites and worms, There's a small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which is different from large intestine bacterial overgrowth. So it is looking for those things and basically having a plan to bring your microbiome back into balance because it's your microbiome that actually manufactures your neurotransmitters in your gut that your brain needs. So if you can fix the gut in just by restoring the gut, by removing what's causing inflammation, replacing what's missing in order for your gut to operate properly and your cells and other parts of your body to operate properly, re-inoculating the gut microbiome and repairing the gut lining, then all of those things will improve. All A lot of those symptoms will improve. And the other thing that needs to be addressed that a lot of even functional medicine doctors forget about is uh, digestion, really getting your digestion back online, uh, which is significantly affected by stress. So it's doing, writing a plan that addresses all of these pieces. And sometimes they have to be done simultaneously. So it comes down to setting up daily habits to address each of these issues in tandem. And when you do that, a lot of things get better very, very quickly. So it is investing time and energy and putting yourself first (laughs) to be able to do those things. Right. It is not a magic pill. I tell people all the time, it takes time and it's hard work. And the very first thing that my doctor said that I found when I found someone that said they could help me heal she was like, it's going to take hard work. Are you ready to work? And I was like, yes, I had hit rock bottom. But people have to realize it's not a prescription. It's not a pill that's just going to happen overnight. But it's so worth it is what I want to tell people. It is. It's totally worth it. And honestly, it depends on how sick you are. I mean, you have to think about how long it took you to get to the place that you are. So it certainly does not take as long to get back to a place where you're feeling well. It is a lot faster, but it does require you to put in the time and energy to do it, to plan for it and to actually implement it. Action is extremely important. And it takes, it took my son, you know, literally months for him to feel better just by changing his diet, just doing that alone. He was gluten and dairy free. I would say within a month, he felt a lot better. We did food sensitivity testing and we found that he was really sensitive to soy. And of course, when, you know, when you make these dietary changes, what happens is that when you are gluten and dairy free, what do you add in? You add in soy, you add in corn. And so when we pulled out the soy, that's when he really felt well, you know, along with that, we added a lot of vegetables, uh, you know, wide variety of vegetables, rainbow variety, I should say of vegetables. 
And that combination within two months, he felt significantly better that as a 14 year old, he had so much buy-in like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe how great I feel. And then he really invested the time in doing the rest of the plan. Oh, that's awesome. I Mm -hmm. love that it only took two months. Mine took a lot longer than that. Mine took closer probably to a year, but um, I love that it's a different time frame for everybody. My listeners many times will tell me, okay, I hear that I'm supposed to change my diet. Is it as simple as getting rid of gluten and dairy, or is it different for every person? Is it just add in fruits and vegetables? Where do you tell someone to start when they ask you about their diet? You know, there's no one diet for everyone. And I think it's a food plan. People need to understand, number one, food plans are evolve and you can use food to heal you. But once you're healed, then you have an, a really good idea of how to maintain that. And at some point you'll decide to reintroduce foods and you'll know your body well enough to know whether or not that food is good for you or not. But to get there, to answer your question, you need to start with low hanging fruit. (laughs) Like, what are you willing to do? You know, so for example, I've had some patients who have said, I've tried gluten-free and it didn't work. And I don't want to do it. I hated eating gluten-free foods and I don't want to do that. And I said, well, it's possible that the gluten-free piece of it being gluten-free didn't work for you because you may not have done it long enough. And that is just one driver of inflammation. Sometimes you have to address the other drivers as well in order for it to work as, in, as a combination of things. There's this analogy about sitting on tacks, the three tack theory. So if you can take one tack away, does the pain go away? Take two tacks away, does the pain go away? No, because you're still sitting on one tack. And once you remove that tack, that third tack, then that's going to start the healing process. I saw a patient yesterday who said that she's always been pretty much gluten-free and dairy-free, a little here, a little there, a little here. And so I said, you know what, let's, let's have you be strictly gluten and dairy-free, <laughs> like really strictly gluten-free and dairy-free. And uh, she said, you know what, when I started doing that within a week, my joint pain went away. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when it comes to the brain, it is really important to be gluten and dairy-free Gluten is very toxic to the brain. So if you have increased gut permeability, also known as leaky gut, you're going to have leaky brain. And so you'll have molecules of things going through your gut that causes inflammation, that same permeability issues occur in the brain. So there are things that those barriers are gone. And so in order for those barriers to be healed, you really have to remove what's causing the fire. And gluten is a major one. And it's for a lot of people. I mean, you don't have to have celiacs. You can have non-celiacs, gluten sensitivity. But even people who have celiac disease or non-celiacs gluten sensitivity, you know, everyone reacts to gluten to some degree. So if you have this body burden of inflammation, gluten is just going to be one of them. And so taking out gluten temporarily, even for a period of time until you get better and feeling better, you could always retrial the gluten back in to see how your body responds to it. So it's definitely worth removing that for a a short period of time. Like, and to me, that's like six months, at least six months. If you're in treatment, that's what I ask my patients to do, but there are going to be people still that's like, I can't do it. (laughs) And rather than having them quit, I'll just shift over us like, okay, why don't you just concentrate on adding lots of vegetables right now? (laughs) You know, just try different variety of vegetables, try one new vegetable a day or one new vegetable every couple of days. It's really making a plan that feels right to the person and it's a collaboration and we're partners. It's not me as the doctor telling you to do it and you're going to do it or you're not going to do it. It's finding a way that it's going to be easy for you to initiate these habits step-by-step in a way that you are comfortable because ultimately the goal is for you to maintain these habits. 
It's not just to do it for me. And this has happened. And I've learned that patients will do it for me and they'll feel great after like six months, two years, depending on what their issues are. And then I'll see them two years later because all those habits that they cobbled together because I told them to do it as the doctor kind of fell apart because, you know, life gets rough at times and you start cutting corners and all of those habits fall apart. So what I started doing is a group online program to just teach habits. And you want to have habits in place that are in, in alignment with who you are as a person, not for me. And so you want to choose things that feel right to you, that you look forward to, and something that you know that I can I can see myself doing this forever, you know, like really for the rest of my life, because I love it so much. I look forward to it. That's the kind of habits that you want to have in place. And that takes exploring a lot of different options that takes being curious about who you are and really looking inwards about what makes you tick. It actually becomes a full transformation when you really do this work. Oh, I love that. And I love that perspective of just finding something that works for you. And I tell my listeners all the time, it's just like one little change at a time. It's not this new trendy diet that you do in 10 days. You know what I mean? And you change everything in your pantry and everything in your home. It's just one little change at a time, one little step at a time that leads to this new lifestyle that you'll maintain the rest of your life. But I love that you say to find things that you enjoy in it because that is definitely true. Absolutely. It really needs to be that way. Otherwise it will fall apart. And so I, I am finding that it is really successful to be part of a group that's doing it because some people don't have the motivation to do it by themselves. It's important to have a team of people. And, you know, especially if you're really sick, it's important to have a coach to help you through these steps. And so I right. have coaches that work with me in my practice and I have a group online program to help with those very things, uh, as opposed to just seeing people one-on-one, -on -one. here's your plan, see you in two months. You know, that's how I started my practice, but uh, I have coaches in my practice now for those in-between sessions. So they'll see me, but then here's the plan and here's someone to help you implement the plan as well. Oh, that's great. Or you could do it with a group. Right? That is great. Yeah. Group support is awesome. You can, you know, vent about the hard things and congratulate each other for the accomplishments. I love that. Let me just ask you something about something you were talking about. You were talking about inflammation. I know inflammation is a huge root cause of depression. Are there other huge root causes of depression? So inflammation is a general term of the mechanism of action uh, when it comes to, so like it's foods, infections, toxins, stress, and hormones, imbalance of hormones can result in inflammation, which then causes what we've talked about. There are more downstream issues than inflammation. I, I don't know if you're familiar with the word pyroluria. Mm -hmm. Yep. Are you familiar with that? There are things like cryptopyral disorders. There's, you know, significant vitamin deficiencies related to genetic issues. Sometimes there are people who don't make enough vitamin B6 or that they need a higher amount of vitamin B6, pyridoxine. And all of these things are really a result of downstream imbalances as a result of these upstream issues that we've talked about brought to your attention. I mean, trauma, trauma again, falls under stress. So childhood trauma can set you up for these kinds of issues. Trauma alone can cause significant inflammation in your body. So I would say, you know, inflammation is the primary driver of all of these things, but they have so there's roots of the root. So, you know, we look at the biological, the psychological, the social aspects. So there's, you know, whether you have an internal conflict within yourself or conflict with others, I mean, the way society is set up, people are isolated. And so isolation can cause these kinds of issues. So the kinds of biological things that can happen are like hypothyroidism, vitamin B12 deficiency, vitamin D deficiency. There's all sorts of endocrine problems that can cause depression. 
I, what I've done, um, as we were talking before is create a YouTube channel where I interview people to talk about all of these different root causes of depression and how it's connected to depression, really connecting the dots for people. You might say, Hey, like, wow, I had no idea that that can cause depression. So it really helps to connect the dots. One thing that people don't really put together with depression and anxiety as well is hypoglycemia. But again, what's causing the hypoglycemia? Inflammation. What's causing the inflammation? You know, foods, infections, toxins, stress, and hormones. So it always comes down to those five things. And the reason I say foods, infections, toxins, stress, and hormones, it's not, I don't say in the same way that the word shift is because that's how I address them. I address them with foods first, then infections, then toxins, then stress uh, in that order, because I see more bang for your buck when you address it in that order. But sometimes I tell some people like stress, you addressing stress has to be on the front burner before anything else, because you're operating at such a high level. You've got to do something about that because you're never going to be able to digest anything. If you continued to be in fight flight on an hourly daily basis, it's not a hard and fast rule, but it's generally how I tend to approach my patients. So I just personally, when I tell people there's root causes, I will say like you could be low in vitamin D, you could be low in your B vitamins, you could have cortisol issues, you could have hypoglycemia, different things like that. So all of those are root causes, but you're saying they're all root causes that actually lead to inflammation. So inflammation is the main root cause. Right. It's the root of the root. (laughs) Okay, perfect. That's what I was getting to. So I'm glad glad we figured that out. I feel like even all of those vitamin deficiencies and even thyroid imbalances, adrenal, the HPA axis dysfunction, it all goes haywire because you have inflammation. You know what I'm saying? And they all and it's, work together. Yeah, it's all connected. It really is all connected. So, so let me <laughs> ask you this then, because I have a lot of followers who will say, okay, I deal with depression. I know I need help, but... I went to my doctor and my doctor said there weren't any tests or my doctor didn't suggest which tests I should do, or the doctor said they, he couldn't help me. So what do you suggest? Are there certain lab tests that should be done? Is there a certain type of doctor that people should look for? You know, sometimes the testing is done. Some people do testing, but it's, it's not necessarily interpreted in a way that is out of the realm of just black and white, there are things that you can look at or interpret the testing to look for trends. So for example, an optimal fasting blood sugar is in the range of 60 to 80. But if you have a blood sugar that is consistently 90, it might not be diabetes or even pre-diabetes, but it is something that's like, oh, that's a marker of inflammation in my mind. Also mildly elevated blood pressure, mildly elevated cholesterol, but it's not actually in the range of being considered metabolic syndrome or serious illness to the point where they would say, okay, now you have this problem, let's treat it. So there are, there are ways to look at some of the blood work that might have been run to interpret what's going on on a functional basis. And many of the tests aren't even done by traditional doctors that we as functional medicine doctors do. And so I would run those things, things like DHEA sulfate uh, is a test, serum homocysteine. I might get an MTHFR genetic testing. And there's other genetic tests that you can do as well, like celiac testing. It really is finding a doctor that will help you look at the whole picture and look at the whole body and what's going on. Right. Um, Most traditional doctors and definitely most psychiatrists will never do a stool test on you. Even GI doctors don't really do a stool test regularly for you. So that is an immense amount of information right there. From a psychiatrist standpoint, I do also an organic acid test. And that gives me uh, some ideas about yeast markers. I, one of the chronic infections that I failed to mention earlier was candida. So yeast and fungal markers are a major source of 
inflammation for some people. So I do organic acid testing, a stool test. I might do some food sensitivity testing, but I tend to do food sensitivity testing after restoring the gut, because most people, if you test early, they already have digestive issues. And if you have increased gut permeability, those people are going to light up like a Christmas tree with food sensitivity. And so in order to avoid uh, the problem of orthorexia, where you end up you know, only eating three foods. Mm-hmm. I prefer doing food sensitivity testing after the gut restoration. Cause a lot of things can get better in terms of food sensitivities, just by doing those two things by fixing digestion, because food sensitivities arise as a result of it not being digested properly and because of increased gut permeability. So if you heal the gut lining, a lot of that gets better too. So if there still seems to be issues, I'll then run a food sensitivity test at that point to see what's left over. So that's I, good to know. Yeah, I approach it a little differently. I'd rather really support the gut in in digesting and in healing the gut lining. And I'll give short chain things like short chain fatty acids and probiotics can really go a long way in terms of food sensitivities as well. So I try not to do uh, a ton of testing. But blood work for sure, the stool test and the organic acid testing, those are my top three testing. And then I will also do salivary testing for adrenals to, but you know, you can get a lot of information just really doing a good clinical history in terms of adrenals that I don't necessarily need to do testing unless we're in that middle zone, you know, are you on going up or are you coming down, you know, in terms of adrenal insufficiency or HPA axis dysfunction and hormone testing too. So I'll do sex hormone testing as well. And there's, there's also these other tests that depending on what their symptoms are, um, I might send you to a biological dentist and get a pano scan to see if you have chronic infection in your mouth or your nasal passages. I'll do an airy swab to see if you have a chronic infection in your sinuses. And that's what's, you know, feeding your gut. <laughs> you know, that's where it all started. You know, I'll do mycotoxin testing because if you live in a moldy environment and you've been there for years and you're, you have mold in your body, you're going to get really depressed. Mycotoxins can cause severe depression. Lyme's disease and uh, co-infections can cause severe depression, OCD, rage, depending on which co-infection. So there's all these tick-borne illnesses that can cause uh, depression and anxiety. And then there's autoimmune diseases. So uh, there's several autoimmune diseases that can uh, cause depression, particularly lupus. There is a whole host of things that we can do uh, to figure out what is going on in your body. And it's not just a CBC and SMA 20, which is a comprehensive metabolic panel and a TSH, you know, a lot of times just those three tests are done and nothing else. And then they're told, oh, everything's fine. And it's like, you, you haven't even done all of the testing that be potentially done. But again, you know, they're not trained. Unfortunately, our our medical system is such that doctors are trained in specific areas and they function only in their silo and that's it. So a cardiologist might order something. They might order a statin to put you, you know, put your cholesterol in a range below 160, but they don't think, oh, but that's, that could cause you depression. A cholesterol level of under 160 can cause significant depression. Under 80 can cause chronic suicidal ideation and history of suicide attempts. So unfortunately, the system is such that doctors are working in these silos and they're not considering what their interventions might do to other organs or other parts of their body. You know, they're not really looking at the whole picture. That's one thing, cholesterol, low cholesterol that can cause really significant depression. So I work to bring that cholesterol level up. So many people don't even have a lipid panel done for the possibility of low cholesterol. It's always done for the possibility of looking for high cholesterol. And that tends to not be ordered at all until you're overweight or a certain age. So I have lots of teenagers and young adults that if we do a lipid panel, it's like, oh my gosh, your cholesterol's below 160. It's, it's 80. You know, no wonder you're feeling this way because 
your brain is 80% fat. It needs cholesterol. Mm -hmm. That's a building block for all of your hormones. It's the building block for the insulation around every single nerve cell. It, you need cholesterol for your brain and your entire nervous system and to make all your hormones. And so that's one of the things that I say, connecting to the dots. How is that connected to depression? Well, I just explained it to you. Right. So it definitely, it takes finding a doctor that will look at the whole body because depression has so many different root causes. That's what I tell people all the time. It's not why one person has depression is definitely not why the next person has depression. And so it takes finding a functional medicine doctor, someone or an integrative doctor, someone like that can look at the whole package. Absolutely. It is finding someone to look at the whole package. So let me ask you about your book that you wrote, because the title really intrigued me. What if it's not depression is the title of your book. So what are you claiming that it isn't depression? All of these root causes or? Correct. Yeah. So, you know, traditionally people have thought that if you have depression, it's just something that's in your head. You know, it's, it's just an emotion that when it's severe becomes a mental illness, but, and we're trained to basically treat the head as if it's separated from the body. And so what if it's not depression is, well, what if it's something else that's going on in your body that leads to the symptom of depression? I wrote this book for the person who you just described earlier, the, a person that goes from doctor to doctor to doctor, they don't feel well, they have some depression, they might attribute it to like, well, this happened and that happened, maybe I'm depressed, maybe I'm not and their blood works normal and they're they're told well you must be depressed <laughs> and here's a prescription for an antidepressant and sometimes it's used as a waste basket diagnosis to explain something because they don't know what else to call it and so they call it depression and that's it here you go and unfortunately ssris which is a class of selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors are prescribed for lots of things, not just depression. It's prescribed for anxiety. It's, it's prescribed for trichotillomania. It's, it's prescribed for panic disorder. It's a whole host of symptoms, uh, including just work stress, you know, and stress alone. So I believe over uh, prescribed uh, and unfortunately, so many children are prescribed this class of medications as well, uh, that I felt strongly that there needs to be a way to tell the world that there are other ways to uh, deal with this. And there's other ways to bring the body, mind, and your spirit back to normal without taking a medication. Certainly there's good reasons to take medication if it's appropriate. How do you decide? So my book is all about how you decide and what you can do instead if you yourself, after reading this book, feel that uh, an antidepressant is not appropriate. I love there that. You <laughs> Thank you for writing that book. And I hope more and more will read it. I hope more and more will understand that depression is a symptom but let me ask you this. Can you always claim that depression is a symptom? It is a symptom. There's a diagnosis. There are depressive disorders. So it's a symptom, one symptom. So in order to have a major depressive disorder, you have to have the symptom of depression every day, most of the day for at least two weeks, along with insomnia or hypersomnolence every day, uh, most of the day for two weeks along with anorexia, which is loss of appetite or overeating every day, most of the day, along with low energy or restlessness every day, most of the day, along with low self-worth and or suicidal ideations and or problems with your perceptions like auditory hallucinations, visual hallucinations, or paranoia. Oh, the other one was concentration every day, most of the day problems with concentration. So it's having five of seven of those symptoms every day, most of the day in order to get the diagnosis of major depression. So, and then there's another diagnosis called dysthymic disorder. So depression is just one symptom and it's a chronic symptom, but it's moderate 
it's more days than not. It, and it's along with a, a host of other symptoms along with that. So if you get the DSM-5, which is the current uh, diagnostic statistical manual, you'll see if you flip over to the, the mood disorders or depressive disorders section, you'll see all the different types of mood disorders there. And another type is bipolar disorder, which is having a depressive episode. And it's very specific about meeting certain criteria along with hypomania or manic episodes. So these mania is a symptom, you know, a manic episode is a compilation of symptoms with mania being one of them. So yes, depression is, is a symptom. Absolutely. So if depression is a symptom, how come people think you can't heal from it or doctors claim they can't heal from it? That is old school thought, correct? Absolutely. It is old school. Uh, it's just what we've been told, you know, you know, and more and more, like I said, that's changing. It is changing. And uh, there was a time uh, and it wasn't that long that uh, long ago that it was thought that you were born with a certain amount of brain cells and that, you know, as you age, those brain cells die off. Well, that's the training is changing. And so sometimes it does take 15 to 20 years for you to actually see a change in practice in a conventional way when the research comes out. So a lot of times like functional medicine doctors, we're learning cutting edge medicine um, and research. It's like whatever comes out, that's what's practicing. But when you're looking at all of the number of doctors that are across the country, you know, for it to be implemented in the schools of medical schools to, you know, training for it to then be practiced on, on a mass level, it takes 15 to 20 years for things to really change. Uh, and I'm telling you that it is changing. There are medical schools that teach functional medicine. Now there are medical schools that are teaching nutrition now. So, and that's because of this movement of functional medicine. It's solely because of this movement. And then it's also because people are demanding better care, you know, something different. And a lot of doctors are running to have training uh, in functional medicine. I cannot tell you how many times I've been to a conference where People are standing at the back on the last day of their of the conference with their suitcases because their flight is in two hours because they can't take down enough notes and they're like sponges <laughs> because it makes sense. Once, once you learn about functional medicine, it makes total sense why, oh, you, know, you start thinking this patient, oh, that's why my patient told me that they were seeing capsules of their pills in their poop. And I didn't know what that was all about, but now I do, you know? So there are a lot of doctors that are learning functional medicine. And at some point there's going to, it's going to hit this watershed moment where I think that's the right word, you know, where it, you're going to have a lot more functional medicine providers than the traditional ones. And eventually it will, the traditional approach will die out at some point just through attrition with people retiring and, and uh, learning more and more about the limitations of medications. And, uh, but you know, you're always going to have people who are going to do the traditional approach and we need people to do the traditional approach for the people who are well and, and they do have a cold or, or not a cold or like an ear, a one-time ear infection and, you know, to provide day-to-day -day care, you know, because that's not something that I would do. You know, I wouldn't be doing the, the annual exams and, or doing surgery or, you know, there's going right. to be situations where you have to have emergency surgery and thank God that there are surgeons to do that. But you could also learn a lot of ways of dealing with things um, to prevent yourself from getting to a point, like if you, you know, you could prevent yourself from having a gallbladder disease to the point where uh, you end up having your gallbladder taken out. Uh, it's noticing those early signs and potentially even reversing the, the congested gallbladder, so to speak, and optimizing your gallbladder function so that it doesn't ever get to the point where, where you have to have it removed. So it is finding that balance and learning these things and continuing to teach these things 
from your standpoint and my standpoint so that there are more and more people that hear that message and learn these things. It is a completely different way of thinking, don't you think? It is. Well, and I'm glad to hear you say that you think it's changing because people these days are looking for answers and they're not just wanting a medicine. They want to heal. And so I am just really grateful to talk to you today and hear from a psychiatrist that yes, you can heal from depression, that depression is a symptom, that there are answers out there. And you know what? It's okay to say to your doctor, oh, thank you so much for your time and move on to another doctor if you need to, if that doctor can't provide what you need. And so it's about educating people that there is help out there. And so I really appreciate everything you are doing. Is there anything you want to tell my listeners, like if those that are dealing with depression are um, listening to this episode, what would you leave them with? That there is hope. There's absolutely hope for uh, you to be able to get to a better place wherever you are, wherever you are on this journey. It is a matter of taking little baby steps, finding that person, as you said, to help you and not to give up don't give up. And so your doctor is not a bad doctor. They're just not trained in this. I wasn't, (laughs) there was a time when I wasn't trained in it. And uh, so in a way I, you know, thank God my son had this, (laughs) this crisis because I wouldn't be doing this work if it wasn't for what he experienced. Of course I wouldn't want him to have experienced that, but, but it is what got me to this place. And most functional medicine doctors do have their own health crises or someone close to them. Um, that have had a health crisis that have gotten them into this. So, you know, there is hope, find a functional medicine doctor or a practitioner. It doesn't have to be a doctor, you know, and just take one day at a time, one step at a time. It's at your pace. It's not a rat race. There's no uh, finish line that you have to uh, pass through. It's just to look at it as your own personal journey and move forward. I love that. Thank you so much. Just this last week, I had three different people tell me that they suffered with depression and that there was no hope. They were like, there just isn't any healing. I've gone to all these doctors and I don't think I can heal from this. And so thank you for providing the information that you do, because it is so critical that we tell these people there is healing and there is hope. You just got to find the right person to help you and stay on that path, but you'll find the right person. So thank you. You're welcome. I always close my episodes with asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient to life. The best, in- one best ingredient? It could be multiple if you want. <laughs> I can never do the one best <laughs> ingredient. Uh, connection, connecting for sure. Uh, because if you connect with someone who has positive energy and good energy, it will give you energy and vice versa. So you know, life is a dance and connecting uh, is a really important one. And resilience, resilience, having resilience, knowing how to respond to a situation because you can't avoid a uh, disaster or a crisis or even, you know, a blip uh, that might cause you to be uncomfortable. It's knowing that there are going to be moments in your life where you will likely be uncomfortable. And it's knowing how to respond to that. That's really, really important. Oh, I love both of those. I agree 100% with those. Will you just tell my listeners where they can find you? Sure. My private practice is uh, Functional Mind. It's in Riverside, Rhode Island, little itty bitty state of Rhode Island. And uh, my website for that is www.fxnmind.com. And I have another website, it's www.achinasteindo.com, where I am currently uh, advertising a do-it-yourself boot camp to find uh, your own root causes. It's a 12-week boot camp that you can do on your own, and uh, I'm folding in a online uh, group program into my practice. Uh, as well. And I also am going to be, will be on there soon is an SSRI tapering course too. There doesn't seem to be any courses about how to taper yourself off of SSRIs. And uh, so I'm, that's going to be on there. And 
the best place to start if you are feeling like you don't have any tools is to really just start with my book. I've had patients tell me that it, it takes a day to read through it, but it's not just enough to read it. You have to implement it. <laughs> right. I love that you're going to provide a course to talk about how to taper off of these medicines and antidepressants, because I do know my doctor worked really carefully with me in tapering off. And we went actually over a year's time tapering off of my medications. And so thank you for providing that for people, because I think that's something that's not really out there that people need. So thank you for all of your courses. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.